Hey Swifters, I am Simon Schofield and this is the Swiftcast. Coming up on this episode... We look hard between the lines as we forensically analyse the interview. What did Eric really mean? Zwift Academy champ Ella Harris wins big twice and looks forward to the new season in Europe. And Richmond refreshed. The old lady of Virginia's had a facelift and she's looking pretty fine. Well, the Zwiftcast Trinity is assembled, present and correct, although there's a bit of a story behind my presence, which I'll tell you about later. It's been a few weeks, boys, with the Mintview intervening to disturb our regular conclave, and it looks as though the world's gone mad in that period. You got your toilet rolls in and your face mask fitted, Shane Miller. G'day, mate, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Look, uh, one of the benefits of being here on the prisoner island, uh, hidden away, um, but the world has gone crazy. We got a notification today that Sea Otter may not be on. Um, the One of the first trade shows of the year that I would have, would have been attending, so we're not quite sure of that yet. But, uh, yeah, interesting times. Yeah, well, it's interfering with all kinds of things. I saw that desert race, which I can't even be bothered to remember the name of because it's such a dull <laughs> oh, race. Uh, the race is there got confined, quarantined in some six-star hotel in the middle of the desert. Uh, And (laughs) interestingly enough, I saw a tweet from uh, Cofidis, actually, uh, begging and pleading with Zwift to get them some trainers into the quarantine zone, presumably to relieve the boredom, and even an offer to stage a race. Uh, Nathan, I wonder if um, Cofidis were beginning to think twice about their less than enthusiastic participation in uh, Zwift racing. You'll recall that uh, they didn't win many friends with uh, with their approach to Zwift races, but um, now they seem to, uh, to somehow mysteriously need Zwift. Uh, but the response from Zwift was... Um a little lukewarm, I thought. Yeah, I did see a little bit of uh, chatter about that, actually. Coronavirus, was it, or something along those? I don't know. <laughs> oh, somebody, somebody did something with uh, with coronavirus and COVIDus mixed together there. But um, that was uh, interesting to for the call out. But there was a response to see what they could get done. So uh, Zwift sounded like they were. A little bit interested. Speaking of this, though, things getting shut down. OJ Borg, who helped host the uh, Tour de Zwift, was just at an empty arena in Katowice in Poland where they had allow- did not allow a single one of the CSGO attendees for the World Championships to come in. The whole thing got shut down the day before. They put the event on still. They still put the event on. All the teams participated. It was a total blowout by Navi. But nobody in the crowd. Totally empty. OJ was in, uh, interviewing people in front of no one. It was in, really interesting that people from all over the world were coming in and they all got turned away by, because the Polish government said no one can uh, gather in mass at this place. Yep, indeed. Strange times indeed. Uh, rumours that the Giro might be cancelled and even some talk that the Tokyo Olympics might be postponed. Uh, this virus is rampant and uh, I think it's going to get an awful lot worse before it gets 
better. Uh, anyway, no bugs in Zwift. Oh, well, maybe there are a few, uh, but they fix them quickly. Anyway, let's move on. Let's move on. Uh, there hasn't been anything mahoosively big in the Zwift universe to discuss. Lots of little changes to the game, few other developments, and enough to keep us amused and hopefully the listeners entertained for the next hour or so. Probably the most significant change being the Richmond Refresh. It's one of the oldest courses on Zwift. Perhaps not the favourite of everybody, though. I've always liked it. And it's been tarted up. Lots of new trees and objects added and generally prettified. As we say in Yorkshire and probably elsewhere, it's scrubbed up rather well. But cosmetics aside, we can finally ride Richmond Reverse. Hooray! Nathan, I have to say, those rev- those hills in reverse are steep, man. I forget which one exactly it is. I'm sure you can tell me. But I'm absolutely certain I saw on my HUD a grade figure of 20% at some point riding Richmond backwards. I think that's the reverse of Libya. I'm pretty sure. That's a very steep. Every time you get over the top of the cobbles there, it's just straight down and right up in the 23rd. So I think it's that uh, little cavern. You go into over by 23rd Street and then the, the backside of Libby. But yeah, I enjoyed it. Uh, I rode it once the first day it came out and uh, I actually found myself really enjoying like a, so it felt like new roads. And I think that's why also it looks amazing compared to what I was used to. It felt kind of dark, like you were in back alleys before. I don't know if you know what I mean, but you kind of felt like you were in these, I don't know, dark alleys all the time. And now it's like opened up and there's butterflies and lots of light, so it's cool. That's a good point, Shane. It's amazing how much extra that riding a well-known course in reverse gives you. I mean, I do the same uh, outside. I'm sure you do. I break the habits of a lifetime sometimes and just point the bike in a different direction and ride uh, an old favourite in uh, in the reverse direction. Same roads, different direction, but a wholly new experience. Same in Richmond, I think. Yeah, as Nathan said, the course was old and dreary, and I think I was virtually mugged a few times there on Zwift in some of those back streets, so it was getting a bit <laughs> crazy out there on the old Richmond course with nobody around. But I was like a kid in a candy store with those new roads because we hadn't ridden them in that direction. That 20 percenter, I was on the kicker bike, I think I rode that, and then boom, it bucked straight up with its tilting and it really kicked me in the quads. But what got me was that long drag from you know, the, the train line part where you climb all the way up to the, the flat sort of loopy section. That long drag just dragged on and on and on and on. And I liked it because you could actually turn around and do hill repeats of that. And then when we got to the cobbles, the cobbles have had a refresh. They're not so cobbly. They're more, they're smoother. Yeah. Yep, smooth job. Good job, Zwift, actually, and uh, good to see those cobbles getting smoothed out a little because they used to drive me a bit crazy uh, with Roadfield turned on the Neo. Well, maybe it's the last kind of easy win for Zwift, reversing the course on Zwift. Richmond was an anomaly in that it was the only Zwift map you couldn't ride in reverse, and now that's been fixed. So the attention of Zwifters will naturally be turning to what's next. In the new Tarmac queue, it was a question I put to Eric Min in our big interview, and I think his answer, as with a few others, is worthy of some post-match analysis from the Zwiftcasters. So let's hear what he said, then we'll try to figure out what he meant. There's kind of quite a lot of roots to thinking that a new map might be linked to the Tokyo Olympics. It's a pretty good guess. Well, it would be a fine place to go. I, I, I find it really interesting um, that people spend money buying digital assets, right? Digital goods. And I see no difference why people wouldn't invest in, in digital destinations. 
And I think as a digital destination, it's a fine place to take people. Okay, well, I kind of messed up a bit there because I really should have followed that one up uh, on the day with Eric. And I didn't ask him what he meant by the paying for digital destinations thing. Um, Now, apart from that, to me, he kind of as good as confirmed that Tokyo will figure in the next big Zwift map. But that paying for digital destinations or investing in digital destinations was a strange comment. Shane, what do you think he meant by that? That really uh, twigged my ears up as well. They both ears went, what? Reversed and replayed that again. And uh, I think my first jump to conclusion would be that he was talking in real money. But what if he was talking in drops? That got me thinking down that direction because we've always said they're not going to do microtransactions or loot boxes or anything else. But if we were to see an expansion of the drop shop to include destinations, I think that would be kind of cool. Now, we already have similar unlocks with the jungle and the Alp with XP points and levels. You've got to be at a certain level. So I'm hoping he's talking in drops, which encourages people to do more Zwifting to be able to do more Zwifting if that makes sense. Yeah, it, it does make sense, Shane. But uh, the, the, the whole drops thing is funny because I mean, cause drops buy you kits and clothing and stuff and they don't really apply and never have applied to destinations. Uh, I mean, we have seen that you've got to achieve a certain level to go to certain places like uh, level 12, I think it is, for the for the Alp. But we've never seen this conjunction and it was the phrase and, and obviously it pricked your ears up as, as much as it did mine the phrase paying for digital destinations. That would be a completely new departure for Zwift, would it not, Nathan? Yeah, and that doesn't exist anywhere that I know of unless we're talking Zwift 2. You know, like, like are we doing, or like, what are, unless it's a whole new game, or, you know, that's the only time that you see a new purchase like that to get onto the platform. You know, that's like getting onto a part of the platform, right? You know, I've now cosmetics, people pay all kinds of money. If I want a new skin on one of my characters or whatever, like, and even that they've said, no, we're going to pay in drops. And, you know, there, there is, um, in certain games you have, like, you have to have a certain level of gear to even be able to walk into this place, you know, cause that gear has certain abilities or like, you're just going to get whooped if you even walk in here without this gear. So that would be, I don't know, or maybe Tokyo has features that certain bikes open up for you. I don't know. That's just conjecture, but um, it I kind of like the idea of paying and drops or buying gear that allows you to go ride in because it has things. Like Tokyo, I kind of think gamified in some ways, and it's the home of Mario, so Mario Kart. I mean, I right now, in my head, <laughs> in my now head we're talking. New York, it looked cool. Did it deliver on, on 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 fun? I don't know, right? And so, okay, new Tokyo, Tokyo definitely Japan has this like futuristic feel as far as how they are with their technology. Are we going to go there with it? Are we going to go into more of a gamification with it? I would hope so. And being the home of Nintendo, let's go. <laughs> so. Anyways, <laughs> I took that totally somewhere else because you can see what I want. <laughs> <laughs> well, as uh, listeners can probably discern, we're all floundering around a bit here and kind of extrapolating wildly because I don't think any of us can really put a meaning on what it was that that, that lay behind that, that rather strange comment of Eric's. Maybe um, if we get the chance, we'll follow up with that if... Uh, 
if I get some kind of access to Eric and the opportunity to ask him what he did mean by that, because it was it's, it's a real mystifying one, that. Anyway, we'll see what comes of it in due course, no doubt. We're going to be turning to the Eric interview throughout this episode because some real forensic analysis suggests some some quite big things, actually, some quite big strategic things. So stay with us for some deep diving into what I think were the very juiciest bits of what Eric had to say. But just before we leave it for now, uh, there is a bit of a bit of a Zwift Castery public service announcement function to uh, to perform here. And here's what Eric said about the short term solution to the persistent problem of sandbaggers in Zwift races. I think a a reasonable short-term solution is don't prevent people from starting, but as soon as they hit that trigger, whatever that trigger might be, we ghost them. What that means for everyone else, they disappear. But from their perspective, they don't even know they've been ghosted. Let them finish their ride, and then we disqualify them at the end, but they won't know that until they're done. So we're not ruining their experience, but we're not also affecting and ruining everyone else's experience. Could, could you put a timeline on that? Are we talking weeks or months? Or? So we do monthly cycles. I'm not sure if it's going to make it into the, the February. Uh, if it's not February, it'll be March. Well, we'll talk about whether that will work in a moment, but here's the PSA bit. Um, as he does a little sometimes, I, th- I think because of his kind of passion and, commu- and commitment and enthusiasm, Eric jumps the gun a little on timeline there. He did say February, obviously that's not happened, or March. And I, the guidance I've been given is that March is, shall we say, um, a fraction optimistic for this feature launching. It will happen a little later than that but of course of course we don't know when uh so yeah don't hold your breath racers or if you were holding your breath you can now uh, release it um nathan this ghosting solution that eric proposed there will it work uh, up front i think it's uh the, the, here's the thing the the the, the key is the trigger what is the trigger and is it going to cause more problems than solutions we already have cone gates every once in a while in community races they have to turn off the cone 100% like once we when we do like pro am racing because people break that barrier all the time and so here's here's the main thing with me is it doesn't get the root of the issue i do not enter category pro category 1 category 2 based on we don't assume my result up front we don't, we, racing isn't about assuming results. Racing is about getting results, right? Like, and so we are on a ba- the basic premise that watts per kilogram is how we judge racing is, is, is flawed upfront. That shouldn't even be our, why, why are we starting on a bad premise? The premise is get results. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. No, no I, I, I guess all that. And to be fair to Eric, you know, he did say that this was the short-term solution and the longer-term solution was going to be one that's much more close to real life. I, I don't know if, whether they would drop the, the watts per kilogram uh, metric uh, as a way of dividing people up, but but the real-life solution where you earn your way up from the bottom to to become, uh, you know, a quicker rider in a, in a higher cat, and obviously the better you are, the quicker you'll, you'll, you'll make those jumps. That is the ultimate solution, but he did say that was going to take a, a longer time to put into effect. Kind of quite clever thing about this is it's trying to change user behaviour in quite a, a subtle way. A nudge theory you maybe rem- remember from a few years ago is quite 
popular in kind of political circles. And the idea was that you could nudge people into changing their behaviour rather than using a big ban hammer or threatening them. Um, and this is this is subtle and and is kind of trying to nudge people in the right direction. Um, will subtle work here? Um, I've seen a better result. Um specifically from reporting and it being followed up on in, in game. So like you report an individual because it seems like they're hacking um, and you can like watch them and they get enough reports. And, and we kind of have that flagging, but the flagging currently doesn't seem to, to work really well. I'm just afraid that the, I guess it'll have to be tested and you're going to really piss a lot of people off up front because, or like either way, it's not going to work real well because we're still going to have people like, going crazy and being six watts per kilogram all day long and it's not set close enough to what's impossible or what is perceived as impossible. And then you'll have this other side where it's like 10 people who are very committed Zwifters, who are very committed to the platform, get booted and they tell their 10 friends and 100 people are pissed off at Zwift. Do you see? Like, And so it's this really fine edge where the testing phase might end up causing a lot of clamor that's not going to be really great for the platform or for the racing experience. Um, and so I would personally, I think that from my experience in these spaces that are very well-designed and robust reporting pro uh, uh, protocol that aims at hackers or people that are considered flyers is more aggressive because we used it in the KISS 100 this past weekend. I was racing in it. We reported one or two guys that were so obvious and nothing happened. They just were there. And like five people said, I reported and nothing happened. And we were all kind of frustrated and the guy kind of ruined the race. Five dudes went off the front with the van essentially. And we were like, we're not racing them. And we just kind of raced each other. But so, but Zwift Power took care of it at the end of the day because we were like, well, here's who's real. And the top three were the top three. Yeah, some good points there, Nathan. I mean, maybe flagging is the way to go. I mean, the the problem is with all of this stuff is that, you know we're not going to know what works until we until we try it. I don't think, um, Shane. And and as Nathan just alluded to earlier, there, you know, the difficulty of actually finding the right uh, point at which you say people are categorically, categorically proved or very heavily suspected to be a sandbagger is 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 a really really tricky one. But this is the proposal on the table at the moment. Do you think it stands a chance of working? Uh, we really don't know what's going to work and what's not unless something is put in place. But I think I've always been of the opinion that if somebody's negatively impacting the experience of others, that has to stop. Be that via harassment in chat or on topic here, being you know, blowing races apart or bunches apart at six watts a kilo all day long on an uncalibrated trainer or weight doping. But Zwift need to protect two things here or two or more things here. First, their subscribers and the experience they have and their monthly revenue. So sometimes they're in a really hard place because kicking paid subscribers off the platform really won't go down too well. Um, it's going to be a wait and see. We'll see what they do with it. Okay, well, let's stick with the racing theme for a little while and talk to Ella Harris, the winner of the Zwift Academy program a couple of years back. The New Zealander has already had one season racing with Canyon Shram and she did pretty well. But in the past few weeks, she's found a few IRL power-ups Ella won stage two of the Sun Herald Tour and emerged as the NZ national champion in the TT event. Two big wins. I chatted with her just as she was preparing to leave New Zealand for the European race season. Well, welcome to the Zwiftcast to Ella Harris. An overdue appearance, actually. Ella, uh, hi, how are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. 
Well, listen, the the first topic of conversation and, and the reason you're on really is uh, big W's for you. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you very much. It, they took me by surprise a little bit, but at the same time, it was really exciting and rewarding. So yeah, good to get two wins on the board. Absolutely. Well, that sounds like false modesty to me. Let, just talk us through the um, the Herald win because that was pretty epic. That that came on a, tw- on a 20K climb and you'd got dropped several times and fought your way back. I mean, that's a hard way to win a stage, Ella. Yeah. When I was going up there, I certainly didn't think I was going to be winning that day, but um, I sort of found something inside of me in the final K. Um, so yeah, that took me by surprise, but um, it was very exciting. Yeah. I couldn't quite believe it. Still can't believe it really. Well, it's real. I mean, it, it really is real. And then the win in, in the TT. Uh, how much did you win that by? Um, I won the TT by around 20 seconds. So um, a climber and a good rider in TT. That sounds like GC contender form to me, Ella. <laughs> well, I've never really done a proper championship time trial before since under-19, so it was a bit of a, an unknown, to be honest, but um, yeah, it actually went really well. So now I've got a little bit of confidence going into other time trials and yeah, um, and tours and that sort of thing. I really hope to be able to do well in GCs in the future. Well, yeah, I mean, those those kind of results are not going to go unnoticed by team management at Canyon Tram, are they? No, hopefully not. <laughs> you're, you're being really modest here. I mean, what 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 has your role to date on on the team been? I mean, I know historically... Uh, the women who've joined from the Zwift Academy, I'm choosing my words carefully here, they've kind of known their place a bit as rookies. I mean, do you, do you feel your status now will be will be enhanced? It's hard to say because last year it was actually really exciting because even though I was new on the team, um, we sort of had almost a double race program operating so that um, while there may have been a larger race on, for example, the Tour of California, which was um, World Tour. There was also a squad sent over to Tour of Colorado and um, a World Tour race called Bera. And we didn't have the strongest riders in the team at those races. So it provided me with um, opportunities to actually um, seek my own results, even though I was a bit of a rookie on the professional um, stage. And I think I still will get the chance at races like Tour of Colorado and that sort of thing. I'd also like to be able to do some of the bigger races. I think it's important for me to um, to do the races with the more higher profile riders and the um, the big names on the team, and you know, do the hard work and work for them um, because ultimately those are the races that are going to make me progress. Of course, you do. You're you're, you're ambitious, and and you know, wins like that are going to be strength uh, strength to your arm. I mean, do, do the team see you as a potential GC rider? Do you think? I don't really know because I don't even really know what I see myself as. <laughs> I'm still I'm still sort of exploring what my strengths are. I think I'm definitely suited to stage races and to the climbs. Um, but at the same time, I still need experience in stage races. I think, and uh, I've gained a lot of experience through doing tour down under and um the tours last year like i said but yeah i'm still relatively inexperienced when it comes to stage races but i really hope to to be able to do something big in them in the future well i'm, I'm sure you will do this coming season i mean i just want to ask you a question actually i mean uh riders from from the southern hemisphere from new zealand and australia do you just have a very very long season because presumably presumably you're heading to europe now to be, really begin the the northern hemisphere season and you you're obviously in like 
top form already. Yeah, it used to be very much um, that I would just ride all year round, but I actually had quite a big break after um, the Tour of Guangzhou, the final um, UCI Women's uh, World Tour race of the year in October. So I had quite a bit of um, November off. And then it probably wasn't as much time as most people would have. But, um, yeah, from there it was just um, to team camp in early December and then I was training from early December onwards for the January races and the February races. And then I've actually just started back on the bike after a week off, um, just a little break after a big summer. So it's not too bad really. I still have quite a few um, little gaps of um, off-bike time, which is nice. Yeah, if you want to do it all, then you've got to spread yourself a little bit thinly compared to um, the European riders who don't come over for the Australian summer. But in saying that, I wouldn't want to miss them. So yeah, <laughs> it's just the way it is. I guess you've just got to manage your rest and recovery a bit a bit more carefully perhaps than riders who have a, maybe a shorter season. Yeah, but it's hard because you come back over here and you're supposed to be resting um, early November and it's just when all the races in New Zealand are starting to really happen because um, it's summer so and the, weather, and the weather starts to get nice. So when you're supposed to be off the bike, it's a little bit more difficult than just completely racking it. Yeah, no, I can imagine that. And, and presumably you are heading to Europe shortly now. Yes, next week, so in the next few days. Right. And do you know your programme? Um, I think I'll just be back into training um, in Girona to start with and then I'm first reserved for Binder. Um, so I might get to race Trofeo Binder again if that goes ahead. If not, um, my first race back is Ghent Wevelgem. Um, then maybe Healthy Aging Tour, hopefully a couple of the Ardennes races, um, Liège and Flesh. But yeah, we'll just see how it goes. Oh, leaving a New Zealand summer for the Belgian wind and rain, that must be uh, that must be quite a prospect. It's not that warm here anyway, to be honest. It's only really been hitting 15 degrees. So I think it'll be warmer in Girona for starters, but yeah, maybe not Belgium. Yeah, no, maybe not Belgium. In fact, definitely not Belgium. Um, I, <laughs> no, I can guarantee that. <laughs> Have you been uh, getting much swifting in? Um, no, not really, actually. Um, I did a little bit the other day, um, but apart from that, I've just been enjoying the outdoors. It hasn't been too cold here, but I think, yeah, once I get back to Belgium and the Netherlands, pre-race rides will definitely be on Zwift, that's for sure. Um, well, listen, fantastic congratulations. I mean, they are two really, really significant results in your career and, and pretty significant results for the whole Zwift Academy scheme, actually. I mean, you know, uh, Tanya obviously has has immense strengths. Leah showed fantastic determination, but but you've actually won races, and and that's the first time that a graduate of the Zwift Academy has done that. And did, did, does that mean something to you? Yeah, I think it's quite an accomplishment um, for me personally. It's been a big goal of mine to just win a race this year, and I also think it really um, shows the Zwift Academy in good light. And I'm proud to actually be able to show it almost officially as a success. Like this person's come through the Zwift Academy and they can win a race. Like it's just a nice box to tick off and I think um yeah it's all very well being able to to finish these races and uh to prove yourself and people start to realize oh you know she's come through the Zwift Academy but she can still ride a bike pretty well but to actually really just seal the deal and win a race is pretty exciting yeah absolutely and then there'll be lots and lots and lots of people rooting for you many 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 congratulations from the whole Zwift community and um, when you get back to Girona, if you see an old fat man going very slowly up El Angels, that, that'll be me. <laughs> I'll definitely say hi then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, 
you'll be uh, you'll be passing me at some at some speed. I think uh, <laughs> fantastic, fantastic to talk to you, Ella. Many many congratulations again, and the very very best of luck for uh, the upcoming European season. Stay safe, stay out of crashes. Cool. Thank you very much. It's been great to talk. Shane, she looks the real deal. Not that Tanya and Leah weren't, but as Ella said, there she's gone from winning a Zwift contest to actually winning bike races. Now that's a big step. Yeah, Ella is absolutely awesome. She does social media well. She rides bikes well. She wins races well. Fantastic to see the results of the Zwift Academy women's um, doing really, really well. Now, the climbing particular that she won up Falls Creek, I've ridden that a few times. Um, Actually, I haven't raced that. I've ridden it in training. That is a really, really tough climb. Those last few hundred meters when you're absolutely cooked. And when she said, what was it? Um, I can't remember her catchphrase. I know someone will pick me up on it. It was something like achieve more or do more or think beyond or something like that. You could just see the Zwifter in her just go, I'm just going to bite down really hard on these handlebars and keep going. And she did. She beat some of the fastest women cyclists in the pro peloton. Awesome to see. We were so excited watching that live, but yeah, we love Ella. She is awesome. She's not an Aussie. She's a New Zealander. Close enough. We'll claim her as one of ours too. (laughs) Nathan, the Academy program needed something like this, I think. Tanya had some decent results last year and actually continues to mature as a rider. But Ella really could be next level, as they say. Well, she just busts on the scene like, hey, I'm just going to win some uh, UCI races, eh? Like, I mean, it was just, it wasn't like, develop slowly over time. It was like Winswift Academy a month and a half later, boom, I'm winning the UCI. Like that's a pretty like, whoa, talent. Like right off the, you know, like I jumped into, you jump into, um, you know, water too deep, you think, you know, kind of a thing. And no, guess what? I can swim just fine. You know, and so that's what we're seeing here. I think also Tanya has different talents, perhaps, too. Like, she's kind of, I saw in a recent social media post, I follow her pretty um, closely, you know, as a Swift Academy winner. And, you know, as her talent, she speaks of what her role is. And she's a workhorse, you know, where uh, I think Ella here is showing that she has a talent to uh, maybe be more of, like, the contender that you're working for uh, with what we saw. So... Yep, for sure. And uh, very best of luck to Elia and Tanya for the European racing season, if there is one. Uh, Anyway, um, Elia emerged from, at least in part, from remote racing on Zwift. Another subject that provided an absolutely fascinating answer from Eric Min when I asked him about it. Do you think remote racing can ever be credible when there are so many ways to cheat? Yes, I think it can be. And that's by improving the hardware, right? Making sure that the hardware is whitelisted. You know, we could, in theory, allow only certain trainers of certain category, you know, to participate. So only allowing certain trainers to participate. Well, you know, that's probably not too bad a thing. It doesn't seem so radical that you might have a Neo-only league or a Neo-only one-off event or series of events. But if you start to extrapolate probably a little bit wildly and you factor in Zwift's hardware division, is there a possible world, and it could be a long, long way in the future, if if at all, but is there a world that sees Zwift, Shane, start to close up and suddenly you can only participate in event X if you're riding trainer, let's say, Z? 
if you know what I mean. Hmm. Looking here at uh, many different trainers from many different manufacturers here in the Llama Lab, I get a bit nervous about this. Um, I don't think so because it all comes down to you can have the most accurate trainer, the most the best experience indoors ever, but if it comes down to entering your correct weight, it's an honest, honest system. It, it's not going to work. It really is. Even as the most honest person in the world, there'll still be questions over that. So. I'd go out with a no on this. They're not going to close the system. I mean, imagine the outrage of people who don't own that particular trainer who can't enter or denied access. This is all about access and um, being able to jump on your bike and ride and have a social experience, be that a race as well, which is also a social experience, um, would have to be very, very carefully uh, thought about before implementing anything like this. So I'm going with a no. Nathan, your view? We already have this in real life events. Everyone's on the same trainer. Okay, so there's also a pre- there's a precedent there that when you get into a equalized, if we're trying to equalize a playing field, that already happens at the in real life events. So we accept that as a thing. Now in remote events, um, this already exists as well. The community has continued to develop how things will work, and we have seen in the past. Now it doesn't look like that information shared any longer, but we used to be able to see what trainers were being used, and the community was starting to call people out. Like, hey, that's not okay to use that trainer. That's not okay to use that trainer. We've already seen it with Zwift Power. Uh, so, I mean, uh, Z Power, excuse me, with Z Power uh, being picked up, obviously, on ZwiftPower.com and Z Power cannot enter certain races with community organizers. Yeah, I think it's just, it's good actually for the um, racing community. Like, there's just a reality that certain equipment is better than other equipment at accuracy. We want accuracy. So now the whole idea of like one trainer that Zwift makes on remote events, I don't know if he's heading that direction unless we're looking for encrypted security to make sure nothing's being tampered with. And would they share that with all of the training manufacturers then so that they can all implement that into their hardware, software, you know, in hardware and software so that, you know, if somebody's using ANT plus SIM or, you know, like that is where we have to go then. And is that going to be hardware that is exclusive to what Zwift is doing or are they going to share that, you know? Okay, well, that was a very narrow point about um, about certain trainers. And I, I, personally, I do think the day when you have to buy a Zwift trainer to enter a particular event or series of events, I do think that's a long, long, long way off, if, if not completely invisible. Although, as Nathan pointed out, some of the things that need to happen would would be solved by, by that. But anyway, uh, massive futurology. Um, Now, there's a much wider hardware point that Eric made during the context of our conversation about the hardware division. So let's hear the clip and then uh, discuss the implications of what he says. There's an established industry that can make all these things, that do make all these things. They've just never had a reason to innovate. Um, So we want to be in that leadership position. We want to set the tone of like what is possible. We want to encourage the industry to to invest alongside us and, you know, make products that work well with Zwift. We need to raise the bar on the hardware side because guess who's taking the brunt of the support issues? You are. Yes. Mm. I'm not particularly happy about that because that costs us real money. We need to set the bar high for ourselves, but at the same time, we're setting that bar for the rest of our, you know, our partners. 
you know, yeah. and, and AMP Plus was never designed yeah. for indoor activity. It was for outdoor activity where there's less interference. So it's in everyone's best interest to, to collaborate, have standards, and raise the bar for quality. Okay, raise the bar, set the bar high, raise the bar. Did you get that message? I see that as a, a really big shot across the bows of the trainer manufacturers, honestly. The message seems to be, we need you to be better. I'm pretty sure that's what he's saying. And he's also saying, we'll invest alongside you to help you do that with our hardware division and we'll provide some leadership. Um, Shane, lot in that. Yeah, look, I think the industry would disagree with Eric on a few points there because the established industry does innovate and they've innovated alongside Zwift for many years. I'd go as far as saying they've innovated ahead of Zwift. And that's quite evident here when I'm looking at the smart bikes. They were once touted as the next big thing, this smart bike phase or craze um, that Eric talked about quite a lot. They're here but they don't integrate very well with Zwift. The experience on a smart bike is limited to that of a standard direct drive trainer. There's nothing much different. The Watt Bike Adam, for example, released two or more years ago, doesn't really integrate well with Zwift at all. It shows gear changes, but only in Bluetooth. That's it. And the two more recent smart bikes, the Kicker Bike, the Neo Bike, uh, Zwift just acts like any other smart trainer does. There's much more to them than that, though. There's virtual gearing, there's configuration, there's additional buttons to integrate with and functionality. So I'm sitting here waiting for Zwift to integrate these things for me to create more content. So it's an interesting one that he talks about um, them having to take the lead. Okay, so that's interesting. You seem to be implying that the logjam on innovation is in fact at Zwift's end rather than the trainer manufacturer company's end. That's what I'm hearing quite a lot, quite a lot. And it's quite frustrating having these new devices. Again, they, these, these smart bikes were sitting at Eurobike to showcase Zwift and what they do. And to be honest, people just got on them and sat on them. They didn't. They didn't integrate very well. Um, so, uh, I mean, they, they, they're big words. They're good words. I like innovation. I like pro progress. Um, but it's kind of like talking up entering the NBA playoffs without having to ever hit the court before. You got to bounce a ball first. So, I, I the, the industry, I think, is they're waiting on Zwift for a lot because there's so much potential to unlock with what we currently have before we start reinventing what we don't have and then saying they're going to do it better. Yep, uh, an interesting one. i tell you one thing, mate. I'd have paid very good money to have been inside the boardroom of Tax Garmin, Elite, Wahoo, uh, and uh, play that clip for them and, and see what the reactions were. Uh, I think that might have been quite choice, actually. But anyway, um, we will never know that kind of thing. Now, buried deep within that, clip was yes another really really interesting possibility and this was eric railing against and plus as a protocol for indoor cycling with with plenty of justification it must be said it's a bit rubbish and uh, i think he thinks that and um quite right too i mean it does cause lots of problems it was never invented for that purpose as he says where that does lead us is down a path of beginning to speculate uh, whether Zwift's hardware division uh, top of their to-do list might be to think about pioneering another protocol for indoor cycling, another wireless protocol for indoor cycling that would solve many of the problems that Ant Plus brings. Shane, what do you think? Mm. Mm. Okay, some background on that. Ant Plus is owned by Garmin. Garmin now own Tax. Tax have a competing software platform, and with Zwift getting into hardware, or potentially getting into hardware, they'll both compete for market share there too. Look, if Zwift were to innovate or further develop anything with Ant Plus, they'll have to run it by Garmin first, who then know what they'll be up to. So 
that is very interesting. There's a lot of business going behind that. Um, I'm a strong believer that smart trenders and smart bikes should be now on five gig Wi-Fi. It's fast, reliable, especially reliable between a, a local peripherals. We're not talking using the internet. This is straight uh, peripheral to peripheral. So your smart bike or smart trainer to your Swift machine, that's local. It's secure. Doesn't need a hardware redesign. Doesn't need an extra cable. Doesn't need to be rejected by Apple for certification for getting a cable to plug into your Apple TV. Um, I may have said it before, the companion app is already halfway there in doing this. It's a Bluetooth to Wi-Fi bridge. So for me, I'm all about switch this all over to Wi-Fi or more specifically IP and allow people to bypass or allow the industry to bypass Ant Plus and Bluetooth standards. Zwift can create their own. They have the resources to do this. And I think they now have a reason to do it. It Certainly makes sense because, you know, Ant Plus slow, unreliable, subject to interference. And, and and all of that produces a less than ideal experience for some Swifters. And it's Eric who's picking up the tab for that, I think he's saying. Um, Nathan, on, on the broader point, uh, I mean, that was a very heavily edited clip, but I, I didn't change the meaning. But I did pull out the phrases that I thought were the strongest. Obviously, that's, that's what you do when you edit things down into, into short, concentrated bits. And it's very difficult to escape the meaning of, of, of that, which is that Eric is absolutely demanding more from the trainer manufacturers. I mean, he said that, that Zwift will bring their resources to bear to help with that, but he wants more from them. Okay, I, I sympathize 100% with that. I have plenty of clips probably of me live yelling about my trainer <laughs> like and why it's not plugged in or what or something. I actually love you saying IP, like let's go internet protocol, like, and I can either plug in a LAN or go through the wife. Oh my gosh. That would be like, that would be like what I do with my PC here with video games. Like or we're in a video game, right? Like, I mean, that just makes sense. Like it has a direct network ID. Boom. There's near done, like kind of a thing. So it's really consistent. You hardly ever lose lose that. But that aside, um, kettle black, calling the kettle black. Uh, I, I talked to you guys a little bit beforehand about this in, in a couple of chats. Hosted top uh, first person shooter, uh, Apex player. His name's Fatal Flaw over on Mixer. I play with him all the time. Top 20 in the world. First thing he said, he comes in, he's watching me Zwift. I'm doing the KISS 100. I host him after my race. And the first thing he says is, man, I really wish those are cool. That's really cool what you're doing. It'd be cool if they put some development to their game. <laughs> That's the first thing that this top, you know, AAA game player says. And I just, you know, I just, I, I, I feel like um, my frustrations are both. My trainer's dropping out. What's going on with this? What's going on with that? What's up with the draft? Why is my draft going out? Why, what, why, why doesn't this make any sense with this? And the pack, the blob is acting like this. And you know what? It's like, it's both end. It's not one or the other. I think that, yeah, they both need to really put like notice to the grindstone, put some development behind five years now in, and let's see some, uh, let's see some, some activity on the development side. Well, pace of development is something else I took up with Eric and something else on which he was extremely interesting, not to say very honest. Uh, and we'll get to that later in the episode. But let's give the uh, the regrilling of Eric a bit of a rest for, for a moment or two at least and turn our attention to other matters and the fence. Um, the fence has been put temporarily, uh, we assume, out to pasture 
In the last update, the feature that was designed to help ride leaders keep groups together was suspended after it developed a few bugs. Amongst other things, Zwifters were getting booted from group rides even though they were well behind the fence. Now, I did a group ride the other day with no fence um, where the leader unfortunately showed up late and it was basically um, anarchy, immediately split into a, a big series of groups and if you could find one that the pace you wanted to go at, all fine and dandy. If not, not so fine and dandy. Um, I think this proves that the fence is an essential feature. We really need it and we kind of got used to it and we kind of got used to it working more or less uh, very well most of the time. But Shane, it does seem to have got super buggy. As Zwift adds features, is this kind of thing inevitable? Bugs creeping in? I'd like to say yes, it is inevitable, but with solid, robust code and robust testing, um, it's not inevitable. It just shouldn't happen. Um, I missed the fence. Um, my experience was the same. I was riding a group ride that always has the fence. The fence wasn't there. People shot off the front. It, got, it was a bit chaotic. Um, and we have a lot of fun with the fence too. You know, sometimes you go a little bit beyond it. You just touch the fence and get a bit of a suntan. Then you come back and then you play with the – you press the A key to stop pretty quick if you go too far. Um, enough about the fence. Um it's disappointing to see. I mean, these are these things should be um, pillars of uh, features that are added and work very, very well. I mean, we're still seeing distance bugs as well, aren't we, in a few different things. Um, and just the other day, we logged in and we were all riding mountain bikes for a few hours, which was kind of weird. Um, I understand how hard it is to test everything because the more features you add, there's a combinatorial problem. Like it, it's just you line everything up and it just might happen to be that you're on this trainer standing on one leg um, and it's a Thursday um, or it just happens to be the same day the Cape Epic Challenge is scheduled to start. Things do go wrong that are hard to test. But at the end of the day, as Eric said, they're staffing up these stuff have to be testing things as well. Yeah, fair point. Um, Nathan, I mean, your gaming background, I have no gaming background, I have no coding background. I am literally talking about something of which I know little to nothing. But um, is it common in games for uh, bugs to go viral? Uh, see what I did there? No topical reference to it. <laughs> um, is it common for bugs to spread as, uh, as complexity increases? Well, new features or new modes or something will usually, or new maps will introduce a bug, new place to do something weird that gives you an advantage in the game or, or some sort of misfire with a specific gun that then gives you some sort of either advantage or screws up your play in some sort of way. But it's usually identified pretty quickly. And then the next patch will patch it out pretty fast. And Zwift tends to do that. Like I've, I've seen a lot. I, I've said this a few times before. I would like to see more communication with patch notes, though. What's going into these patches? What? How is the game functioning? Why is it functioning that way? Communication. I love, you know, they are kind of, I did like, so the recent video, how-to videos, if we had like more of that, a little bit like Ian could become the new Jeff of Overwatch. I don't know if you guys know about Jeff of Overwatch, but he's a meme in the world of Overwatch. Like Jeff, hi, it's Jeff from the Overwatch team. And he just tells everybody about what's going on with Overwatch. So like... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you, hang on a minute. You're just about to trample all over my next point. Uh, but it does lead us nicely into the next topic I covered with Eric. And, and the fence here is an absolutely perfect example of where Zwift just need to communicate better or at least communicate at all with Zwifters. I mean, I've seen nothing official from the platform on the problems with the fence. It, I, I guess it could be there buried deep within the company-run forum, uh, somewhere where 
not many people go, and I certainly don't look very often. Maybe I should look more, but I've seen nothing. I've seen nothing. On Zwift Riders on Facebook, where many, many Zwifters get their information, nada. So why does the company not use this Facebook group? It's the biggest Facebook group. It's not the only place that Zwifters go, but it is a big place where Zwifters go. Why don't they use this Facebook group to communicate more effectively with subscribers? So uh, I asked Eric about it. Here's what he said. Uh, we're definitely listening. Now, I think we could do a better job of responding, you know, and it is the right place to respond on a Twitter and a tweet or on, you know, on Facebook, I'm not so sure about that. We don't, we don't own a lot of the Facebook groups. You know, those are not, those are community Facebook uh, uh, forums. Our staff is not comfortable putting their private identity, you know, in, in the social domain. That's not, like, I can't force them to do that. I do that because, you know, I'm one of the, uh, I'm one of the owners. We do have a public profile, but then it's almost impersonal. All right, well, I'm afraid I'm going to go off on a, a little bit of a rant here. Uh, so uh, hold on to your hats. Uh, to be honest, this is absolutely nothing that I haven't said on many, many occasions to the Zwift leadership team and to, to, to others inside Zwift many, many, many times. Uh, and that is, you know, Zwifters want more information from the company. Personally, I, I don't think they'd give two hoots if it came from a company profile, as long as the companies just tell subscribers what is going on. Fence, perfect example. We just want information. We, we don't really care if they can't put a timeline on the fix. We just want to know roughly what the issues are, that they know that there are issues and that they are working on them. And, you know, what's been done to try to fix them. Friendly, regular dialogue uh, in a place where Zwifters go. I mean, I, I honestly cannot see why this is so difficult to solve. It's been ongoing now for, for several years, to be honest. And I don't think that Zwifters, I, I fully confess I might be wrong about this, but I don't think Zwifters are that possessive about the community-owned forums that they would resent the company coming in using a company profile to give Zwifters reliable, timely and authoritative information about stuff they want to know about. I mean, you know, maybe I'm wrong, but it looks to me as though this is not such a hard problem to fix. Oh dear, sorry about that. Nathan, am I barking... Uh, howling at the moon or barking up the entirely wrong tree here, do you think? Well, there was an interesting uh, part where it was like, we don't want it to be too personal. So like, this is your personal space in the Facebook groups. So stay out of there. Okay. But then it was like, a tweet feels impersonal. I'm like, well, you can't have it both ways. Like, and just not do anything. Like, and some publishers use their Twitter profile and that's the main place actually where they just get information out. That's actually literally where they put stuff out. And then other ones have their Jeff and it feels very personal. Everybody's like either railing on Jeff or yay Jeff or whatever with overall, you know? And so we could have one way or the other, just use the Twitter profile and throw information out there and everybody knows where to go. You know, and that's very impersonal business only. Here's what the product is doing. Boom, boom, boom. Sorry, no, sorry, whatever. Or make a fun video about it. And he sits by a fire and stares at the camera for five hours on Christmas. He literally does that, Jeff. <laughs> so, <laughs> Shane, is this whole stick from Eric that the, the company profile is too impersonal? Is, it, is that right? Is that right? No, what I'd like to see is I, I get that from a, 
if, if it's posting from the Zwift account, um, you see companies do this all the time. They'll post from the company account and then it'll do a dash whoever it was who replied. What would be nice to see is if people want to use their personal accounts or have another account, but just a little, a little label next to it saying ZHQ or Zwift HQ. So you know the person is from a place of authority and have some information that is worth looking at and reading. Um, that would be pretty cool. But for example, in regard to communication, the an update dropped the other day and we had no idea what was in it. There was no release notes whatsoever. And then another update dropped afterwards, which fixed the mountain bike issue that we're all assigned. But again, there was absolutely zero release notes. I think it's interesting. Is the word interesting? No, I think it's crazy that a company of Zwift size now, who's no longer the startup, they are a big company, um, can release software with zero update notes, like nothing. Things just drop and it's, well, what's changed? Uh, things come out probably a few hours later but you think by now there'd be a procedure that goes, okay, here are the list. Here's what's going on. It's communicated throughout the company, especially to the support staff. And then everyone knows what's coming. Uh, more communication. That's my answer there. But um, as in regard to the question though, uh, is it too impersonal from the Zwift account? Yes. I think there just needs to be people in there who are identified from being from Zwift. Okay, well, let's uh, let's leave that on there. I do feel like we're giving them a bit of a hard time on this episode, to, to be fair. We do seem to have been hammering away at them. I suppose that's sort of inevitable if we're, if we're going thread to needle through the Eric interview. I sit down with him once a year, and I, I, I guess it's inevitable that, that much of the discussion will focus around the things that irritate Swifters slightly or, 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 or just this thirst for Swifters for, for more. You know, I, so I, I, you know, I guess the, the subject matter is 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 by its very nature tends towards the negative, and therefore when we go through what Eric has said to us, we tend a little bit towards the negative as well. So I don't know if anyone's upset by that. You know, I'm sorry, <laughs> but I guess it's our it's our job to represent the community, and that that's that's what we're trying to do. Um, um, but we have we we have. It is a bit of a winch fest this this episode. There we go, though. Anyway, let's try to be a bit more cheerful. More tours. The Tour of Watopia is coming and the Grand Fandos have returned. The numbers are in for Tour de Swift, probably the most high profile of the Swift organised mass participation events, and they're broadly flat year on year. Around 120,000 Swifters took part, which was roughly about the same number who took part last year. Now, let's not... <laughs> let's stop being negative. Let's not diminish these numbers just because they haven't shot up exponentially. That is a very, very, very large number of Swifters taking part in these events. The numbers choosing to race a stage was a big one, 61,000, that's more than half of those who took part raced at least one stage, and many of those, you've got to assume, will be will be new racers. And as I've said before, I do love these events. I think they're absolutely one of the best things about Swift. Uh, they, they bring the community together, they provide a focus for people to do stuff they wouldn't normally do. They provide motivation. They provide fellowship. They're, they're great. They're absolutely brilliant. They're one of the huge success stories of Swift. Now, uh, given the Winchfest nature of this episode, I'm afraid I do have one slight little grouse that I'd like to uh, talk to my fellow, fellow Swiftcasters about. And that's, that's the balance between the first half and the second half of the indoor season. It does seem to me that the... The, the fondos, uh, the fondo action, and the tour action is is kind of backloaded towards the end of the indoor season. There was very little tour or fondo action from October to Christmas, which I'd call the first half of the indoor season, and then lots and lots and lots and lots from January to now. Now there are probably, 
almost certainly excellent reasons. These things don't happen entirely randomly. And I suppose the reason, Nathan, is the absolute mass of newswifters flooding in from January onwards. Um, I didn't pick it out in the Eric clips, but he did say that this January, in absolute terms, saw, saw more newswifters come onto the platform than ever before. So I guess Zwift, quite rightly, want to highlight the best of Zwift and provide lots of opportunities for those newswifters to get around the place and meet the community and do all of those things that these big events do so well. So I, I do understand the reasons, but they do feel a bit backloaded. Yeah, I think there's kind of like, how much can we get done? And then oh, shoot, what did I miss for the new ones who just come in, you know? So um, they want to serve the, the community as best as they possibly can with the best of what they have when everybody is out there together. It's kind of like the culture of Zwifting almost or the the events of Zwifting are all around this very specific time when everyone's together. But I would agree with you, though, that I think it would encourage people to Zwift earlier if these events were on earlier, though, too, and that they were spread out throughout the entirety of the season and it would give us give give a little bit more rhythm to it um yeah i i i would like to see something more during october through christmas and um you know there's there's the also people just don't start indoor cycling until they've like eaten all their food during the festival <laughs> during the holidays and so they're like there's that part so any but i i i think there's a there's a solid basis with those who are looking for something to do from october Shane, you're in upside down land, of course. So things are a bit different for you guys. But um, do you do you uh, agree with what is becoming a majority opinion on the Zwiftcast that uh, they could spread these things out a little more evenly, perhaps? Yeah, there, there needs to be a, a more even spread across because I think cycling is now no longer seasonal. And I think Eric Min said this um, a, a few years back when Zwift was first emerging, uh, that cycling, they're taking it from a seasonal event to all, all around the year, um, especially with indoor stuff. Um, so, yeah, for sure, more Zwifting. I want to see more Zwifting. But speaking about the numbers, um, I think this morning there were 15,000 people on. So looping back to our conversations in previous Zwiftcasts, um, the peak wasn't as high, and I think I still nailed that. Um, yeah, mate. Thanks for reminding us on that. <laughs> thought I'd just throw that one in there. Um, the breadth of people being on um, is quite large. I mean, 15, that's larger than, what was last year's peak? That's still higher than last year's peak, and we've hit that again this year. Um, in early March. Yeah, yeah, I noticed the same, actually. I was on the other day at uh, kind of my usual time. I'm a creature of habit. And I saw way more than, than I would I'd not normally expect to see around that time. I think I normally expect to see about six or seven. I think it was about nine or ten on. Um, so, yeah. Um, could be weather-related. Could be virus panic-related. Who knows? Anyway, back to the Eric interview. I hope listeners don't think we're doing too much on this. Maybe we are. But it is probably the most detailed interview Eric ever gives anyone. So I do think it is worth some deep analysis. Now, this doesn't go for all Zwifters. It's really important to say that new or recent Zwifters, I think, are generally happy with what they've got. It's just as grizzled old veterans who like to point out ad nauseum that we'd like more shiny things more often. We frequently refer to this on the Zwiftcast as the general pace of development. So naturally, it was an idea that I grilled Eric on. Here's what he said. Marked out of 10 in terms of Zwift fulfilling its potential. Last year, it had got up to 4.5. Where where do you think we are now? I think we've uh, stayed flat, uh, honestly. Yeah, because I think, uh, I think onboarding a lot of people really 
slowed us down. Uh, we are doing more, but the output has come, come off as well in some areas. Um, but I think these are just the, uh, you know, we've planted the seeds, and I think you'll start seeing the fruits of all that work coming out in the next, in the, in the next year. It's, it's not realistic to think that you can double your staff and get the double the, yeah. the output. It reduced our, our, our overall output in, in, the, in the short term, but it's, it's a, it was a necessary investment that we wanted to make now. Well, nothing if not absolutely brutally honest from Eric there. He conceded that output is reduced, probably from what, what he had in mind, and that development is slower than he'd like. And he gave reasons. Hiring another 100-odd staff and getting them on boarded and getting the company structure right has slowed them down. He was, he was completely honest about that. But he says it will get better and it will get better in the next year. Do you buy it, Shane? No, I don't. Um, and now I'm going to introduce you to story time with Llama um, in regards to the pace of development and little things. Now, today I went out for a ride, turned the head unit on, started the bike, riding, getting warmed up, and my DI2 connected, and then it popped up saying, DI2 battery low. I'm thinking, oh, that's a bit harsh. I'm out for a 50-kilometer ride, and I kind of need my DI2 to work. And then I, I kept riding and riding. Seven kilometers later, my front derailleur stopped working. Don't worry, I'll get to Zwift in a moment, but we're on story time here. Um, and then I had the rear derailleur. So I was, it was a bit of a spin session today. I stuck to the hills. So I had 90 minutes to contemplate this. Why wasn't I alerted of my DI2 battery going flat prior to this? It was because I was on Zwift all week. And Zwift doesn't integrate with my DI2. This little tiny feature that I wanted, little, little t- Zwift should at least pop up and say, hey, your DI2 is going flat. Um, it, it broadcasts in Plus and Bluetooth. Swift did have support for DI2 uh, and electronic group sets. I think way back in the beta days, it's been switched off. Um, little tiny things of development. I just want to see the small stuff. We hear uh, Eric and the crew talk about these big ideas. We're talking esports. We're talking hardware divisions. We're talking all this big development stuff. It's the small stuff that they're not delivering on as well, which is really, it's the content that I make, these little tiny things. Um, I'm just lacking those. So um, I'm hoping to see more small stuff, the low-hanging fruit, um, get integrated. Um, There's a lot more to do. There really is. So anyway, that's my rant. That's my story time. I was stuck in the little ring today because I forgot to charge my DI2. Nathan, well, you know, at least Eric didn't bluster and obfuscate. He obviously wants things to move faster. It wasn't oh, it, that was obvious, not just in his words, but in his whole his whole body language when when I sat down with him. And I get the sense that he's frustrated that things don't move quicker. He's nothing if not completely committed to Zwift and incredibly passionate about the product. He is he's the original Zwifter and I think the original Zwifter would would like more things more often he did say for the first time if they can't recruit the game dev people they need in LA to the Long Beach HQ they would consider looking elsewhere and I think it's the first time he said that yeah and uh it's a I I like to hear that it's a hopeful one for sure that uh getting more devs in seems to be the main you know the main thing that we hear a lot of times I okay the old grizzled veteran thing, I just, I'm not, I'm not buying that though. Like I see plenty of newcomers that come in and, and ask the same questions that are experienced though in the gaming world. We have a new generation that's getting interested that understands the gaming world and says, no, sorry, this isn't on pace. This it's, it's, and, and I don't, um, Again, I'll go back to something I've said over and over again, that these are fish out of water up front, 
that have come into an environment where they don't know what to expect. And it's amazing because I'm not looking at the garage wall anymore. Yay. Right. Those people do exist hundred percent, but the people who have sw- swam these waters a lot that are coming in are going, yeah, it's okay. They could do a lot better though. And it's not just old Zwifters. Like I, I don't, I don't think that that's actually uh, a, a, the thing. And just because there's a few loud ones who've been around for a while, I don't think that it's that they're the only ones that are thinking that. So, um, but I, I, I think that it's, I think Swift is extremely innovative. It's just, it's the only one there. There is that too, you know? So. Yep. Agreed. I mean, the lack of serious competition c- could be a factor. Uh, I, I put that directly to Eric. I did say the lack of, of, of any credible competition could run the risk of breeding complacency within the company. He, he, he denied that they were complacent. And, and I don't think they are, to be fair to them. But yeah. Well, it, it's acknowledged, isn't it, from the very top of the company that things could and perhaps should move faster. So that will be one to watch over the next year. OK, well, let's finish up with esports and racing. A very large development since last we spoke is the UCI publishing its rules and regs for virtual bike racing. Eight pages of them. Lots of stuff covered. They've yet to be tested out in the field. And in fact, it will be very interesting to see how that process works. I mean, we're quite used to seeing UCI commissaires with rulers measuring sock lengths and stem lengths. Um, But with the level of sophistication that it's possible to bring into cheating in Zwift racing, hmm, you might think those commissaires are going to need to attend a training course or two-ish. Yeah, there's a lot, a lot that can go wrong um, and could be made to go wrong. Uh, Just walk into any bike shop and and try and get some some help or some technical help. Sometimes they're just not going to know the technologies. Um, you'd hope that they'd be on some courses or two um, to identify any issues that may occur or you know what to watch for. I'm still going to bang on the uh, the train there of the code review, though. Um, again, my analogy is the Vegas slot machines. You have code submitted, reviewed, locked down um, because who knows, someone could just put in a little cheat that red bikes go faster on a Thursday and that person chooses a red bike and wins the race. There's a lot. There's a lot that can go wrong, especially when you're duplicating the realities um, for every single rider, which is what happens in a virtual environment. Hmm. My answer is yes, they definitely need training on this flow, for sure. Well, we shouldn't be too cynical. This is a huge step for Zwift Racing. And as I said in a post on Zwift Races, when this was first announced, we have come a long, long way from those days of let's meet on the on the line on Richmond and stay behind the guy in the red jersey until someone says go. We've come a long way from there, haven't we, Nathan? Yeah, I'm glad that uh, there's some teeth being brought to um, the scene. That's for sure. Uh, that there's something that we can all agree upon, hopefully. You know, um, there's a lot of questions, though, that get raised about ownership of the sport then. And where do we go to have our events verified? I have a process currently. I'm not sure I'm very happy with the process to get a C321 or HC event for mountain biking. I go to the National Federation here in the US of A. They go with a diplomat over to the UCI and say, this person wants so-and-so kind of an event. You prove yourself yada, 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 and then you get whatever event that has status, which racers then come to to gain more status to race at a certain level. Who owns that process? Does Zwift own that process? Does the UCI own that process? Does the sport in general agree in some sort of governing way with people who represented from the community that walk in and say, I want to be a part of the voting body? I mean, there's a lot of questions that this raises that are 
not necessarily addressed. And I feel like there's a little bit of horse uh, cart before the horse going on here, whereas the community started to kind of develop some things. And then all of a sudden we have UCI and it's like, whoa, we're at a very high level here. Whereas there's some development at the lower levels with establishment, which I do see. I'm not saying black or white, though. I see Denmark has this event going on, live event, it looks like, Nor- Norway as well. I've gotten on the radar for ZCL Broadcasting, and I'm like, whoa, well, now where does this sit within this governance of sport, though? And who's over, you know what I mean? So there's a lot of moving parts going on here that's going to have to come under some structure, and I think Zwift Esports is trying to figure that out right now. So we're coming, we're, it's all kind of coming together, but it's still Wild West, it feels like. Even with these rules, it still feels very much like we're out in the, we're out in the wild west a little bit and people are still slinging. So it's good though. It is a good development. Yeah, for sure. We've come a long way, but we we still have a long way to go. Um, but hey, at least the UCI are in charge. Everything's going to be fine. Um, okay, right. Just before we go, uh, the very last thing I just want to raise this with you, actually, Shane. And I've got a, uh, I've got a, I've got a horse in this race. Um, as a, a very happy owner of a Neo One, and we're starting to see some kind of real things happen as a result of the Garmin takeover of tax. It's starting to rattle a few cages out there in consumer land. Um, so the original Neos obviously are getting a little bit long in the tooth now. Many of them are exiting warranty. Garmin initially said that if somebody had a problem outside of warranty with a Neo One, they would not offer any support at all to that owner after the warranty period had expired. Then, under some pressure from the community and indeed from some pieces in the cycling press, they changed their tune and said they would offer support, but there would be a minimum charge of 600-odd quid, I think it was, which, to be honest, is patently absurd, as you can get a new trainer for not much more. Um, it, it also kind of goes against the spirit of the times, which is to repair things, and maybe they could offer a spare part service so people could do DIY repairs or send them to people who have developed an expertise in, in, in repairing these, um, these large and expensive lumps of plastic and metal. My impression was, Shane, it's not winning Garmin any new friends, this. This was an interesting one we saw over on Road CC. Um, they took a user support query in one of the Facebook forums deep down in the web somewhere and blew it up as a press release kind of post um, and took a lot of people out of contact. It was really weird to see the reporting of just a simple user issue. Hey, look, if they want some user issues, they can come around here. I said I, The other day, I submitted nine support tickets in one single day. I'd love to have nine articles written about my uh, tech support issues that I have with all the stuff that I deal with. That aside, um, look, I... I don't think it's really any different to anything else. If you drop, and I think DC Ramica said this on our podcast, you drop an iPhone and run over it and it's out of warranty, you can't expect a new iPhone. However, the price-wise though, Apple do look after you quite well and they pretty much will look after you at cost just to keep you on the, the system there. 600 odd quid, yeah, a little bit excessive. But on the flip side, this week I have seen a number of posts from uh, Tax specifically, probably not Garmin though, they're one and the same now, where people have sent back their Neo 2 or the Neo 1 and they've given them a new Neo 2T just to you know keep things rolling along so with every bad story there is a couple of good stories that do get buried or never reported on um my point being we can't expect too much when something's out of warranty anyway um but 600 quid is 
a, a little bit too much. Yeah, for sure. Yes, agreed. And, I, you know, I think what this illustrates is that people have kind of been waiting to see what sort of approach Garmin would take as a large multinational corporation as opposed to tax, which was a small Dutch family-run firm. And I, th- I think people saw this as evidence of um, things heading in the wrong direction, shall we say. Now, talking about large corporations, I did say at the top of the show I'd give you a little bit of a story about uh, the production of this week's podcast. Um, So here we go. Um, My favourite corporation in the whole world, as regular listeners will know, is Virgin Media. Um, They're my favourites because they offer me such a reliable, rock-solid, always-on service. And indeed, I woke up at the ungodly hour I have to get up at to uh, coordinate everyone's time zones this morning to find that, yet again, I had a total loss of service and no internet in or out uh, of the um, grandly titled and wholly misnomered uh, Zwiftcast Production Centre, otherwise known as my house. Um, So I I was less than thrilled by this development, it must be said, Uh, but having been in that position before, I hastily de-rigged all the kit, uh, threw it in the car, drove down to the car park where I know I can get a reliable phone signal because one of the other complicated factors about Zwiftcast Production Centre is I don't get uh, much of a phone signal here and rely on Wi-Fi for mobile phone coverage. Are you still with me following this? Um, anyway, uh, threw it all into the car and it's had a flat tyre. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Marvellous. Deep joy. Anyway, I rolled down the half a mile or so to the car park, uh, complete with a flat tyre, and here I sit, um, a little chilly, um, but with everything more or less uh, working as planned, although it did take us 20 minutes, 30 minutes or so to get set up, uh, for which I thank you, boys, for uh, that your, your extreme levels of patience while I fiddled around and um, managed to get the uh, service I use for recording the podcast to work because that was giving me problems as well. It's been a bit of a challenging morning, actually. Uh, I'm not pretending anything other than that, but we got there in the end. I have suffered to bring you this podcast, so there you go, listeners. I hope you're suitably grateful. Uh, Nathan, mate, what's happening in your life? Less um, less challenging, I hope. <laughs> oh, um, tired? I'm tired. <laughs> um, we've I've been I've been training like mad, actually. Lots and lots and lots of swifting. You know, with all the with all the whinging about the, as, as you would say, Simon, um, we, uh, I've been using the platform like crazy, lots and lots of mountain repeats in the big gear and lifting. And I think I put in like 60 hours on Zwift in the last, maybe even 70 hours on Zwift in the last four weeks, something like that. So yeah, I mean, we're, we're all in. So, um, yeah. <laughs> so, that's what's happening. Lots of ZCL as well. Um, we're we're Dave Towley's going to be back on. He just got some new equipment, so that's really nice uh, to have him on board. Uh, Alex Rasmussen and I are going to be doing once a week, and now we're also obviously got Co on board and looking to maybe uh, expand out to up to six broadcasts a week. Also, the weekly windup is back. I mean, there's I mean there's a lot going on in ZCL that, and then obviously Tour Watopia managing uh, you know this commentary. Uh, with that and connecting with that team. So um, it's full on still, even as we are going into spring. So, 
Oh, well, that's very good to hear. I wish I could say the same for my fitness, Nathan. I'm in my, not, not in a good place, really, fitness-wise. I need to get my bottom in the saddle more often, and I'm, I'm definitely going to start doing that. Uh, Shane, I would imagine tiredness is a pretty permanent um, state of being for you with uh, young Maxwell. Yeah, it is, but I love it. Max is just over six months now, I think. I think I spoke to you, we had it as we've cast just after he was born, I think. I was a bit teary. Um, absolutely love the little kid. Every single moment, he has his first tooth. Um, he smiles at everyone. He's been an absolute blessing. So, yep, we're a happy little family here. Well, that's also very good to hear. Very cheerful news. Um, you, obviously, upside down land. The, the season is turning. It turned into spring for us, but it turned into autumn for you. I guess you'll be moving back inside a bit more now? Yeah, well, the coronavirus here has meant a uh, all toilet paper in local supermarkets has been bought out. People are ex- like buying toilet paper like nothing else. So, well, I should be moving back inside. I may be moving to the woods. Yeah, I know what you mean. This whole toilet paper thing, it baffles me. I mean, why toilet paper, okay? I mean, why not pasta or beans or something? But I guess there's a sort of obvious answer. I mean, of the many things in life you don't want to run out of, well, toilet paper is probably (laughs) one of them. But it seems to be global, this. There is a global toilet paper shortage as people panic by. What odd times we're living in. (laughs) Well, if you run out of food first, you don't need the toilet paper. I don't understand the logic. So I think everyone's buying baked beans and then buying the toilet paper because they've had too many beans. I, I think that's what it's all about. I'm not sure. <laughs> it's it's a crazy world. It's a crazy world. Yeah, that's it. Most certainly is. Okay, well, that definitely is that for episode 77. Thank you very much, you two, for your patience at the top of the show as I uh, fiddled with various tech. But much appreciated by me and I'm sure the listeners as well. Thanks, guys. Talk to you next time. All right, thanks, boys. We'll see you soon. Thanks for listening, folks. Just the usual reminder that Zwift support the Zwiftcast, but we decide what goes in it, not Zwift. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Mm-hmm.